This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We have all seen the extraordinary pictures coming out of Hong Kong with millions of protesters taking to the streets to protest a controversial extradition bill that would see the extradition of suspects to mainland China. The fear is that in addition to fugitives, this could ensnare critics of the authoritarian mainland government. Even more extraordinary, Hong Kong's China-backed chief executive backed down and apologized, but this did not stop the movement. Carrie Lam suspended the bill after two large demonstrations, but protesters are demanding that she withdraw it altogether and investigate the police brutality during the demonstrations in which riot officers used rubber bullets and tear gas, injuring at least, I think, 72 people. Want to hear from you. Maybe your family comes from Hong Kong. Maybe you have relatives there or you've just been watching what's going on. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. With me in studio now, Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. And on the line, Charles Burton, Associate Professor of Political Science at Brock University. University. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Good afternoon. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Chuck. Hi. Uh, Chuck, uh, you said you were just talking to your sister who participated in these demonstrations. That's right. She came uh, to Toronto last night uh, for a wedding. (laughs) But uh, she brought with me uh, heartwarming news. What she told me about this is the we're seeing this uh, a generational change. Uh, the younger people, we're not, talk, we're not talking about anyone older than eight, 22. We're talking about 18 to 22 group. They've been using all kinds of ways to organize themselves without a leader. And they've been using all kinds of anti-surveillance tools, including not using Facebook, paying by cash, and not buying subway tickets uh, online. And you just, you just pay cash when you, when you go into the subway just to uh, avoid a detection surveillance by the Hong Kong and China's uh, authorities. And the whole way they uh, organize themselves, even, you know, recycling cleanup and garbage cleanup, it's, it's quite amazing. And it's very different from five years ago when they did the umbrella movement. At that time, there was a bit of a conflict between the older generation and the younger generation. But this time, everybody is working hand in hand. Well, there was also that extraordinary scene where you, there were a million people out there and an ambulance had to get through and it just kind of parted and let the ambulance through and then they came back together. Uh, Charles Burton, how unusual is it we did see the chief executive of Hong Kong backing down somewhat? How unusual is that? Well, I mean, it was an apology. Um, the question is really uh, will this extradition law be withdrawn? Will she agree to investigate the police brutality during the demonstrations in which riot officers used rubber bullets and tear gas, injuring at least 72 people? And, of course, uh, what about the people who have been arrested? 
And uh, will they continue to define this as a riot as opposed to a peaceful demonstration? And, of course, the, you know, really, um, Carrie Lam should resign because uh, it's impossible for her to regain her credibility as the chief executive of Hong Kong. I think at this stage, the primary concern is that the demonstration should not turn violent. I think there are a lot of, there's a small faction among those young people that Chirk is, uh, is talking about who are calling for escalation of the response. The feeling being that it was only when the people and the police had a confrontation that the government decided to back down on this legislation. And so some young people think that this is a time to engage in more violent outbursts. And that could provide the pretext for the People's Liberation Army troops um, stationed in the former British garrison to be released. And then we'd have a much more like 10 and then 89 situation. So I'm just praying that that uh, cool heads will prevail and that and this will remain a peaceful protest and eventually induce the government of China to direct their uh, Hong Kong puppets to uh, to uh, withdraw this legislation and maintain the commitments of the uh, government of China um, uh, under the under the gen, under the basic law. Uh, they've issued some kind of ultimatum uh, deadline: five o'clock tomorrow. I yes, I, yeah. I believe so. Uh, I, mean, I just want to. Five o'clock. That's that's uh, in the morning in in Canada. I, I just want to echo uh, Charles's point. Um, you know, the the young people have seen this movie too many times, and they know what how it ends. Basically, the chief executive or the legislature would say, "Well, we hold off on it, and then let let the whole fizzle down," which is what happened five years ago after seventy five days of occupation, and uh, and that. Um, that didn't do anything. Uh, now we have an issue that is more direct hit on people's safety and security. And I just want to say about the apology. Uh, apo- Carrie Lam apologizing for how she handles it is like after you murder somebody and you apologize for saying, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't clean up the blood too well. You know, the murder has already happened. The murder is the extradition treaty and until you, as Charles said, you back down and you just withdraw the whole thing, uh, they're not going to stop the protest. Uh, one of the things I found interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that this law may come from a good place. There was a case of a young woman who was murdered and uh, the suspect stayed in Taiwan and the parents talked to Carrie Lam and, and that's why she brought this forward. Um, do people not have any sympathy with that, Charles? Oh, I think certainly everybody feels that it's correct to um, to have uh, an extradition with Taiwan because the Taiwan uh, legal system is compatible with our, our due process of law. Um, I think there's an issue there with whether Taiwan would go along with any kind of dealings that, that uh, regard Taiwan as a, as a province of China. But certainly, in terms of fundamental justice, um, the, the gentleman who who engaged in an alleged murder should be brought to trial and made accountable uh, for uh, what he may have done. So I think from that point of view, the, the Taiwan issue is a bit of a red herring. Um, what this really is about is the capacity of the of um, the Chinese authorities in Beijing to arbitrarily demand that political dissidents be um, transported back to uh, China to face Chinese justice with a minimum of, of due process in Hong Kong 
And of course, once in China, um, they they do face the prospect of torture and interrogation, and uh, extensive application of the death penalty. Um, currently, the United States government is um, reconsidering its its stance towards Hong Kong with the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, which would um, put considerable pressure on China to um, not engage in this basically burning down the firewall between uh, China's system of justice, if you want to call it that, the system of justice, and the um, and the the system of justice uh, that that Hong Kong inherited from the British colonial period. When is China taking over altogether? Well, I mean, it's supposed to be in 2047. So it was 1997, um, as Chuck knows better than me, it was 50 years, no change. Uh, That was the idea. One country, two systems. Uh, Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong, including a commitment to allow the Hong Kong people to elect their their leader um, in um, 2017, which uh, the Chinese then repudiated. So it looks like, you know, that this is happening sooner than than 50 years away. And I I think the reason for it is that when the commitment was made for 50 years of change, uh, a lot of us, including uh, myself and Chuck, um, felt that that, uh, China was moving in a democratic direction and that by 2047, the handover would not lead to a to a deterioration in democracy and human rights in China, because uh, China would have adopted the universal norms of human rights and and international governance as defined by, you know, the UN's international covenant on civil and political rights that China signed in 1998. So the situation has changed, and clearly the Chinese government uh, wants to turn Hong Kong into a medium-sized uh, Chinese city fully under the control of the Chinese Communist Party, as is everywhere else in the People's Republic of China. Yeah, the 50-year return to uh, slow slow kind of integration of Hong Kong into China was actually the other way around when Deng Xiaoping at 84, when he negotiated the treaty with Thatcher, that uh, he would hope that China would be uh, grow enough at, to match Hong Kong's human rights and and uh, uh, fairness and judiciary system, that they can be one, become one country. So he lost that 50 years. And of course, the opposite is true, especially this year being the 30th anniversary of Tiananmen Square Massacre. Uh, everything changed after Tiananmen Square Massacre when the Chinese, uh, Chinese government said, no, we need to clamp down because uh, stability and keeping the country together is... Uh, our primary concern. So, uh, you know, we can let bloodshed with a few thousand students. Who cares? And this is the, unfortunately, this is the kind of mindset that we're facing right now with Hong Kong. Um, there are reports that uh, the People's Liberation Army has been embedded in the Hong Kong police wearing Hong Kong police uniform. The students have asked for their ID and they could not produce an ID and they clearly could not speak Cantonese. So, so, <laughs> We're talking about an eerie uh, um, repeat of what happened 30 years ago in Tiananmen Square. I was surprised about the number of people in Hong Kong who are Canadians, 300,000 of them. And I would imagine that a lot of those people went for their citizenship in 1997. 
how many of those people are are going to move here, come here, or do you expect that to happen at all, Chuck Kwan? I think the uh, you can expect a lot of them would be having serious second thoughts about staying in Hong Kong and and basically bringing the career back to Canada. But I think you're also looking at a new wave of potential immigrants who decided that Hong Kong is no longer the place that uh, Deng Xiaoping promised uh, one time or another. So they're saying having also serious thinking about uh, finding a safe haven. Uh Charles, what do you think is going to happen on that front? Well, I think that uh, the estimate of 300,000, it could be low. We could be looking at more like half a million. I mean, these are largely people who came to Canada before 1997. You know, we were bringing in 70,000 a year in the years in the 90s leading up to 97 because their families had left the mainland largely uh, because of the communists and um, and that they wanted to have some assurance that that they could uh, live, continue to live in an environment where their human rights and freedom of expression and um, and freedom of assembly uh, could be protected. So they came to Canada. They many of them have left uh, family in Canada. They um, they became Canadians and they went back to Hong Kong uh, because they love the Hong Kong um, culture and lifestyle and opportunity to do business in their in their Cantonese language. Now, if China is about to to basically uh, burn down everything about Hong Kong that 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 I just said, you know, the freedoms and the and the atmosphere and even uh, the use of um, of that native dialect of Cantonese um, in in daily doings, that people will naturally prefer to come to Canada and uh, and live a, a life where they can enjoy the benefits of their Canadian citizenship and protections of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And certainly, looking at the at the quality of those demonstrations, and the people peacefully protesting in their, you know, in a couple of million people, I think that they would certainly be the the best of Canadians, and that we should welcome them to 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 come and and help our country grow and prosper in in freedom. If the Chinese government is not prepared to uh, make these concessions on Hong Kong, that the people of Hong Kong very reasonably are demanding. No, uh, so uh, I just want to say the half a million is quite right, um, but also among the half a million, there are a lot of second generation Canadians who were born here or came here when they were young. So they're basically Canadian, like no different from you and me. Mm-hmm. All they're doing is they're going back for the business and the, uh, and the career, uh, uh, basically to be in touch with their heritage. And I think I expect a lot of them will be coming back. Uh, what I was going to say is that I would expect that that most of these people are prosperous people with businesses uh they many of them probably already own property here and uh speak english and all of that right the language of education has been um up until recently primarily in english it's now gone over to mandarin but let's bear in mind that the per capita uh, gdp in hong kong is considerably higher in canada than canada's it's a place that's been a, a wonderful economic success and has a wonderful uh, uh, culture, and so um, there's a lot to admire about Hong Kong and Hong Kong people. It's regrettable that the government of China doesn't appreciate the uniqueness and and uh, and wonderful place that Hong Kong has become, particularly um, since uh, the end of the colonial period, when when the Chinese were able to resume their their uh, their rightful being masters in their own house in that territory. 
How is this going to impact the fate of the two Canadians in China, the two Michaels, and our other difficulties with China that started since the arrest of um, Ms. Meng, uh, the CFO of Huawei? Uh, and what do you think? I'm, I'm not sure what Canada actually has been saying about this, Chuck. Uh, I think Krista Friedan came out uh, yeah. saying very strong words, and it was she was admonished like a, by a parent uh, of the Chinese ambassador. Oh, that's uh, right. Thank I you mean, for reminding I mean, me. I, I mean, China is basically a bully around the world, and especially a bully with Canada right now, because they know they can bully you guys. And uh, You guys? And us you, guys. Us, us guys, sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but so so I, I, I don't find, I, I can't find a, 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 a solution out of this mess that we are in. All we are asking for is for our government to stand in the one principle and not, you know, there's no negotiation. What China wants to do right now, and this is according to the latest scheme that Chen was proposing, is that their condition was that you release Meng Wanzhou first, and then we worry about, well, you're two other Canadians. That's backwards thinking of negotiating. Um, Charles, what's your view on this? Well, I think that uh, it's certainly um, uh, the case of Kovrigan's favor has been taken up with a lot of uh, vigor by our uh, Canadian Chinese community, particularly um, our um, Canadians of Hong Kong origin, you know, really, uh, I think that that our Hong Kong Canadians um, have a, a strong identification uh, with this nation and are very concerned about Michael Kobrick and Michael's favor. I, you know, this situation it seems to me um, is getting uh, pretty desperate. Um, if the Chinese government bring out Mr. Kovrick and Mr. Saver and have them give a false confession under duress on the television, which is what's happened with previous cases of, of foreign nationals who have been subjected to um, extrajudicial incarceration without proper charge by the Chinese Ministry of State Security before. I'm thinking particularly of Peter Dallins and Peter Humphreys. Um, that would be disastrous for China because the Western democracies would, would take great exception to this. If China holds a show trial for them without being able to provide any evidence that they are, in fact, guilty of any form of espionage, which is almost certainly the case, um, that will also um, be bad for China in terms of its relations with the, with the West. So I think that China's caught between a rock and a hard place and really would like to seek some means to, to uh, get Kovrigan's favor out of their system but there's a, a face question here, which is they made a gross miscalculation in assuming, first of all, that if Ms. Meng came to Canada um, when she was wanted on a, on a warrant from the United States, that she would not be arrested under the terms of our extradition treaty. And secondly, that, that if they exerted enough pressure on our, on our political branch, that Mr. Trudeau could uh, interfere with the operations of the independent judiciary, specifically the Superior Court of British Columbia, which is currently reviewing her, her extradition, um, the extradition application, holding an extradition hearing. So, you know, Ms. Meng is not going to be released, and uh, I don't think the Chinese have any more benefit now in holding these two Canadians in, in harsh conditions without any basis. You know that a lot of Canadians believe that we should have released her because it's kind of not worth the grief that that all of this has caused. 
I'm also wondering, I know that this probably sounds far-fetched, but, you know, I'm remembering Canadian citizens in Lebanon who had to be rescued quite recently, and everybody was in shock, like there are 50,000 people in South Lebanon who are Canadians. Can you ever foresee a situation like that, Chuck? No, not in Hong Kong, especially not half a million of people. But certainly, uh, um, I, I agree with Charles. I think it's a face issue right now that uh, we're dealing with, and uh, we have to find a way out. Uh, perhaps uh, Mr. Trump might want to do something, but that's something that, but we cannot bend. Uh, well, I think to it's tomorrow that Justin Trudeau is That's is right. going to the states to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, at first they did absolutely nothing. Then it looked like they were doing something. Charles Burton, uh, are you satisfied with what the Americans their role in this so far? Absolutely not. I mean, you know, we had this thing inflicted on us by the United States, and they've been paying lip service to um, making a few weak statements about uh, how the Chinese government should release Kovrigan's favor. Um, you know, we have the impression that uh, Mr. Trump might raise this matter when he uh, meets with Xi Jinping in Osaka at the G20 at the end of this month. Um, that meeting has now been, I think, more or less confirmed. Uh, I frankly really find it not all that credible that we could get a commitment out of Mr. Trump uh, in the course of his negotiations with Mr. C to to bring up the, the consular case of Kovrigan's favor. And my expectation is that when Mr. Trudeau is in Osaka, that uh, Mr. C's handlers will be making sure that there's no corridor or men's room or, or you know, souvenir photo op encounter between Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Xi. I don't think that they will be meeting because the, the Chinese government are in an impossible position with Canada. How can they respond to what Mr. Trudeau will want to tell them? Because what they're doing is just completely and utterly without any kind of justification and gross violation of international law and practice. And uh, Chuck, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I, I, I think the best thing we, we can do is to stand um, and, and uh, for our own and also to work with our allies. I think uh, Charles mentioned a, a, a big thing about embarrassing China right now, and, and, and China's place uh, in the international arena is going to suffer if they make any false move. And that, let's just hope that, uh, let's leave it at that. Okay. Anything you want to add, Charles, before we go? Well, I, I, I'd just like to send my sympathy to the people of Hong Kong and pray that these demonstrations will not lead to violence and that, and that the Chinese government will, in fact, make the rightful concessions. Um, it's been a great pleasure to speak with uh, Chuck Kwan, who is one of Canada's um, primary experts on uh, Canada-Hong Kong relations and, and democracy. And uh, thank you, Libby, for having me on the show. Okay, well, thank you both so much for being on the show, Chuck Kwan and Charles Burton. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.